Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. With the remaining time today, I thought as I was sitting over there on the steps, watching from the side, um, how fitting a message for today's sermon, because uh, I don't think I knew what, what song they were doing today, but God did, and, uh, and the message is from Ecclesiastes, <laughs> and it's actually the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. It's one where the teacher or Solomon is wrapping up this whole treatise of vanities. How many of you have ever felt like life is in vain, that what you're doing is in vain, that, that day-to-day, the day-to-day grind is in vain, that getting up in the morning and doing this thing over again we call life is in vain? Did you know that through the COVID pandemic, suicide rates for young teenage girls shot off the charts? I just saw that statistic yesterday. When there's such a hopelessness in society that's contrived by a sense of desperation, there's a struggle for the souls of men and women that is a true and real spiritual battle. Solomon, the teacher, had come to more than likely his later years in life, where his strength had faded, his hair had grown gray, his vision had grown dim. But see, Solomon in the scripture is one of those guys who seem to have it all. And yet he wasn't exempted from the tragedies and the vanities of life. Meaningless, meaningless, he says. Everything is meaningless. But you know the word that is used for meaningless in the Hebrew actually is hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. Do you know the correct translation of hevel? It means vapor or mist or smoke. Have you ever tried to grab smoke? You ever been out on a really foggy day and tried to grab the fog in front of you? He's saying the things in this life are so fleeting and yet we search for meaning and purpose in this life in things that are not eternal. And so he concluded, it's all meaningless. What does he tell us throughout the course of these 12 chapters is meaningless? There are five things that he says is meaningless. He says that the acquiring of pleasure, of riches, the health of the human body. And I'm missing the other ones. 
Oh, there it is. Success, work, pleasure, riches. And do you know the one thing that you would never expect to hear from Solomon? What's the one thing when God came to him? He was the next king of Israel after his father David. And God said, I will give you anything you ask for. What does he ask for? Do you know in Ecclesiastes, he says that wisdom itself is even in vain. Now, I did a sermon last week on the contrast between wisdom and ignorance and how it's so important to have wisdom in life. Lady Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1 was wandering through the streets calling all who would listen to her. And those who rejected her voice, she called simple-minded, which means dumb, or not dumb, but means basically stupid, Willing, willingful stupidness. Willing, willing for or, or intentional ignorance. We live in a world where, where there is intentional ignorance of the truth. Not those that just can't wrap their heads around it. I'm talking about those that know there is truth out there but refuse to believe it when they see it or hear it. And so even in all of his searching and all the wisdom he had, Solomon says, even wisdom itself is in vain because let me be honest with you, we all die. Ecclesiastes is a very depressing book because here's a man who had grown old with time and realized amassing wives and fortune and everything that the world says is good and that you really need is empty. It's like vapor. You, you try to grab it and you can't. We have Pharaohs of old, King Tut being the one, Tutankhamun, whose grave was never, whose grave was never robbed. And, and you could go there and the stuff that he amassed that was in his tomb and in all these corridors of his tomb was still there. See, there was this belief in ancient Egypt that you could take things with you to the afterlife. There were boats and animals and everything in there that they thought they would need to pass through the corridors of death and into the afterlife. Servants would even give their lives to be killed and mummified so that they could be the servants of the Pharaoh in the next life. How vain is this? And yet we look back over the course of human history and we think, oh, well, those were, those were ancient times. They were ignorant. They didn't know any better. <laughs> How much stuff have you amassed in your life? Physical, material, reputation, success. And you say, well, not much. Well, some of you have. What do you, and I guess the question is, if you haven't attained what the world considers success, fame, and fortune, and all of that, <clears throat> what are you striving for? What are you striving for? To make an identity for yourself in this world. Who am I? Who are you? 
who defines who I am and who you are and who the rest of the world is. It is not up for me to define who I am because I have a creator who created me wonderfully. It's in him that I find my true meaning in life. As we read Ecclesiastes chapter 12 very quickly this morning, Solomon comes to this conclusion, and I think it's an apt and very timeless conclusion for us today. Listen to what he says. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, the moon, the stars is dim in your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky in western Pennsylvania. <clears throat> That's one of the things when we moved here nine years ago that we just didn't realize. Remember him before your legs the guards of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. Before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about the danger in the streets before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. <laughs> that sounds really depressing, doesn't it? I, mean, I was reading this earlier this week. I'm picturing a grasshopper who's kind of had a broken leg, and he's like just dragging this one little hopper around back here. Sorry, you didn't need to see that. <laughs> Remember him before you drag along with that energy like a dying grasshopper, and the caper berry no longer inspires sexual desire. It's an aphrodisiac in those days. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you were young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vapor is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's vapor, smoke. So keep this in mind, the teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. 
Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives his sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. This is not a promotion of not studying. I've heard people say, writing of books is in vain, so you should never write a book and you should never study. That is wrong interpretation. What he's getting at is the reality is you can study till you're blue in the face, but you'll still never learn everything you need to know. See, that's the whole story. And here's my final conclusion. He says, fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. See, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, the New Living Translation um, actually goes to the liberty of inference when we read this passage. I usually preach from the New Living Translation. That's what you saw on the screen. It says, remember him, remember him, remember him, remember him, all the way through it. Actual translation has remember him or honor him at the very beginning, and then it's implied at every section all the way through. And this word for remember or this word for honor are interchangeable here. And, and, and honoring or remembering is holding in high esteem. It's to elevate to a status that is of importance in our lives. So when, when, when Solomon says, remember him or honor him, he is saying, above all else, this is the most important thing in life. Not secondary, not third, not any other place or position behind the first in your life. I, I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, I don't always think about God at all times and in all places and in every way. I grew up with this mentality that we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And so I've kept my mind on other things at times when the reality is I should view everything through the lens of God. Everything is spiritual, believe it or not. And I can actually say that now being 45 years old, that I've come to understand that everything has a spiritual component to it. See, I think this is what the authors of scriptures understood very well. This is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 can say, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but rather against powers, principalities, and rulers and demonic entities of this dark world. It feels physical because it plays out on the physical, but everything can be rooted in a spiritual aspect of life. Not Eastern mysticism, not some Eastern type of, of, of spiritualism, but rather in this rootedness of who God is and in the realm in which he, in which he exists. See, God is not bound to time and space like we are in this broken and fallen world, and yet he works within it to bring about his good and perfect purposes. We are not just some part of his creation. We are the most important part of his creation, regardless of what you hear in the realms of academia. 
We are not just some other subspecies of other species out there that are no more important than the worm that crawls on the ground. Rather, according to God's word, being sentient beings created in his very image have wealth and importance beyond measure, and yet we seek for wealth and importance beyond measure in this life through what this world has to offer rather than in eternal life through what he has to offer. And we search in vain, and this is what he's talking about. When you neglect to remember your creator, it's like boxing at the wind. It's like trying to grab at something that is unattainable. This doesn't mean you should throw yourselves up or throw your hands up in, in, in this complete and utter Oh, well, I guess I can't do anything that matters in life. That's not at all what Solomon is saying. Rather, he says, the most important thing in life is remembering God, fearing him and worshiping him, because that's where the center of all meaning is found. Why is the world, oh, no, 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 listen, to not just say the world. Why is our culture in the condition it's in? Because we believe the lie, we believe the lie that purpose and meaning is found in what we attain in this life. Move our way up the corporate ladder, so to speak. Get that extra raise. Get more benefits. Marry the right, perfect person. Guess what? There's no such thing. I meet with couples on a regular basis, premarital and marital counseling. They've so overloaded expectation on the other person in their lives that that person can never live up to those expectations. Why? Because they expect that person to be godlike. Your spouse was never meant to be your god. Yes, they complete you in a way that nobody else can, but they cannot be your God. And the problem is in most marriages, when we elevate those that are loved ones in our lives to a status that only God should have in our lives, it's in vain. You become disappointed, frustrated, regretful, bitter, resentful, unforgiving, any number of things that the enemy wants to root in you so that he can grasp onto you and hold you in his clutches. The reality is there is freedom in Christ. And this, is the, this is what the world would tell us. Oh, you, you're a Christian. You're going to become a fuddy-duddy. You're, you're a sourpuss. All you, it's all what you cannot do. And, and the reality is in Christ, you are more free than you can ever imagine. I see so many people living in bondage. In fear, not of God, but of circumstances. Fear has grasped our culture in such a way that it has strangled the life out of it. I'm guessing that fear has touched your families in some way, form, or fashion or another, directly or indirectly. The only fear we are called to have in Scripture is a fear of God. And that fear of God 
means a holy reverence of God. It's realizing our separateness from him, who he is and who we are not, and realizing that our creator is our creator. That he's not just somebody we pal around with, even though he considers us friends. We don't treat what is holy as common. That's what happened in the Old Testament that got the the Israelites in trouble all the time. They would go into the holy places, the temple, the tabernacle, and they if they went in and treated the things of God in an unholy way or a common way, they were struck down. The story of the guy, Uzzah, it's a great name to have. That should be in the baby books today. Uzzah. He's marching along. David is bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. The ark of God. You know, the one in the Indiana Jones movies. You're not supposed to touch it. Actually, and there's strict regulations and reasons as to why you're not supposed to, but they're, they're carting it back on, on like a, a little trailer or cart pulled by oxen. Well, of course, they didn't have paved roads in those days, not like we do now. And uh, so it was getting rocky on this ride home, and the ark begins to tumble off the cart. And Uzzah, as any of us would have, reaches over to steady it. Guess what happens to that dude? Fried like a piece of bacon. Okay, not like a piece of bacon, more like burnt brisket or something. But regardless, he's killed on the spot. And we think, God, why would you do that? He was trying to protect your honor. He was trying to protect the place where your glory dwells among the people. The irony is they were breaking the commands of God. It's not irony. The reality was they were breaking the commands of God. How did God, when he had them craft this ark, what did he tell them to do? How did he tell them to move it from place to place? There were rings of gold on the corners of the ark where poles were to be put through and priests were to carry it and move it. If one priest stumbled, there were three others there that could keep it stable. It was never meant to be carted as a common box on a cart. And so when we treat the things of God in a common way, then we treat them in an unholy way. Guess what that means about you and me? We are more important than a box on a cart. We, in the New Testament, as believers in Christ, are the holy temple of God. We are the place, as believers in Christ, where the Holy Spirit's glory and presence dwells. And when you treat this in an uncommon way, you reap the curses of what that brings. But when you live with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and you put yourself square in the sights of God, 
You can step into that throne room of grace with confidence because of what Jesus did for you. See, Paul talks oftentimes about the physical body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about those people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about those people who do things with the physical body that should not be done with the body. Romans 1 and 2, we see the same things. Jesus talks about this often, even through the Sermon on the Mount. Going so far as to say it's not just about what you do physically, it's even the thoughts in your mind that are corrupting. When we treat what is God's with commonality, we in essence are saying it's no more important to us than rubbish or garbage. Ladies and gentlemen, when you treat all that you are as common, you forget whose you are. You see, we have so many people out there. This is why we, we, we believe in salvation so much for the unbeliever, because there are those that don't believe in God, or those that maybe do believe in God, but he's not for them, and so they're going to live life and do their things their own way. Because it's easier to live treating this with commonness than it is to be set apart and be holy as he is holy. Do you understand that? It's not easy to be holy. And you say, Brandon, how am I supposed to be holy? If you understand the terminology and the language and the intent of the authors of Scripture, when Peter tells us in his letters in the New Testament, we are to be holy as he is holy, do you know what that means? Holy means to be set apart. If I were to have, as an Israelite, gone into the temple just find, if I could get past the temple guards and everything, and I could just storm in there and grab all the, the incense burners and the candelabras and all of that, and bust, if I could get back and bust my way into the presence of where God's glory resided, not because I desired God, but because I desired to see those things and to touch them for myself, I would be treating those things of God in an unholy way. See, one of the things in our culture I think we've neglected is reverence. We don't revere God, which is where all of our reverence should be. And because we don't revere God, we don't revere, revere our elderly. And because we don't revere our elder, elderly, we don't revere our parents. Do, do you see the breakdown in a society that doesn't have a holy, humble reverence for God? Everything becomes common, even those relationships in our life. And when we see everything is common, then nothing is holy anymore. Not even the relationships we have. And we can throw away our relationships like they're nothing. Wad them up like a piece of paper. Just signed a marriage license yesterday. And as I sign those marriage licenses over the course of my ministry, I always say a prayer, Lord, let this be a lasting relationship founded in Jesus Christ. Because I know without you, there is no hope. See, that's what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. Honor God, remember him, fear God, and trust him. There is no other way. There is no other way. There is no other way. Can I say that again? There's no other way. 
And I know that ticks people off when I say that, but you can get mad at me all you want. It's what scripture says. There's no other way. We try to find loopholes. See, that's what the sinful nature does. Let me find some loophole. You've heard me say, we want to see how close to the edge we can get without actually stepping over into what this realm of sin is actually called. See, when your heart is so bent on finding how close you can get to the line, your heart is not centered on the things of God. You have already stepped across the line if you're trying to find a loophole. Do you hear me? When your heart is uh, on the things of God, then you try to find a way to avoid that line as much as possible. I don't want to get anywhere near it. But God, God, I love you above all else. I want to please you above all else. You are the most important thing in life. In the end, nothing else matters. Everything else is meaningless compared to knowing you. See, that's what Solomon is saying. You've heard me talk about the E True Hollywood stories. Uh, that's probably dating myself. I'm, I'm old. They used to have these things on, on the E Hollywood channel, and these called these E True Hollywood stories. And it would take uh, a biograph, would do a biographical sketch of somebody who was extremely famous but lost it all with drugs, sex, alcohol, any number of things. And those are the big three, drugs, sex, and alcohol. That'll send you to hell. Actually, yes, they probably will, among other things. And you know why people search for meaning in drugs, sex, alcohol, and other things in life? It's because they don't realize their true worth and meaning is in God alone. I met with a ton of different people with addictions, sexual addictions, drug addictions, so on and so forth. And the reality is they, they have searched their whole lives trying to find meaning in other things than God. Trying to find their identity in something else other than who God created them to be. I want to be this. I want to be that. You need to want to be God's before you can be anything else. Because in the end, all that matters isn't whether or not you were an architect, a teacher, a pastor, or anything else in this life, but whether or not you are a believer in Christ. I mean, sure, we, we, want, we, want, the, uh, we want the words said at our funeral to be beautiful. But see, even Solomon knew, though he probably would be remembered as a historical person, he knew that it didn't matter. It doesn't matter how famous he became. In the end, we all end up on equal playing ground, don't we? What is, I was told one of the, the uh, what, what is it that's inevitable? Taxes and death, I think, right? Actually, it's just death. You don't pay taxes after death. Well, actually, you kind of do. Never mind. Different topic for a different time. They'll find a way. They already have. All right. Let me close with this. There's a story, um, there's a story that at the end of World War II, a young Bible college student in Illinois met a guy by the name of Ira Hayes on the streets of Chicago in, in an effort to offer him hope, the student shared John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish but have everlasting life. See, at this point, though, Ira stopped the kid and exclaimed, Do you remember Iwo Jima? See, I'm the man who planted the flag on Mount Suribachi. They're building a monument to us, he said. I don't need God. Three months later, according to the story, national papers carried a story of a 32-year-old man who died of alcoholism and tuberculosis. His name was Ira Hayes. See, we can search all of our lives for things that we think will fulfill us and bring us a sense of purpose. But we search in vain if our pursuit doesn't lead us ultimately into the presence of God. As our worship team comes forward this morning, you've, you've seen, you've heard a lot. The dance team's song and dance and the verses of Scripture were so aptly done this morning in a way that spoke more than I could say in a sermon. You heard the tragedies of the news clips they put in that song. It seems in vain, doesn't it? Look over the course of the past 20, 21 years. Just the past 20, 21 years. A lot's happened, ladies and gentlemen. God's the only hope. And, and I would even contend, because God is the only hope for the world, his church is the only hope for our society. If you are not willing to be the hands and the feet and the body of Christ in the world around you, then what are you doing? What are you searching for? What are you waiting on? The opportunity? So we have the mandate, go into all the world, make disciples. He didn't say, wait till the right opportunity and then go. And if you're here and you don't know Christ or you're fighting against him in your own life, then what are you waiting for? The right moment, the opportunity, are you waiting till you get to a ripe old age? What does Solomon say? Don't wait until your hair is grayed and your eyes grow dim and you lose all of your teeth to then say, okay, I've lived my life. I should probably make a decision for God. One of the things I know, it's harder and harder as time passes to come to that point of complete surrender to Christ because your heart gets hardened with every rejection. Please. I see so many people in bondage. You can be delivered from the bondage of spiritual darkness that holds you back. Our altars are open. You come to my right. Somebody, you're basically saying, if you come to my right and pray at these altars, you're saying you want somebody to come and pray with you. You come to my left, your right, we'll leave you alone. You can pray there privately. Again, I ask you to make the most important decision of your life. And it's not to apply for that job or get the good grade on that test. It's to know God in an intimate way. Father, in this place, my desire is to continue to know you more and more as each day passes so I grow into more intimate relationship with you. But I also pray for those within an earshot of my voice that God, they would also have the desire to know you intimately. To grow in a relationship with you that pulls off the blinders to the realities that this world has led us to 
to live in and, and to believe and God to, to live in a new way as new creations, as children of God. Help us, God, to step into that relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And if we don't know how to do that, God, I pray that we would seek somebody out who we know that does. Deliver us in this place today, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.